0: Good morning, I'm not going to preach to you this morning, I've actually been asked to share my testimony and start that way, so that's what I'm going to do, but just a heads up for the future, uh, starting next week, uh, we're going to start looking in 1st John, and we're going to do that uh, for six Sundays, and then we're actually going to go through the Advent season and um, follow each Sunday the theme for Advent season, uh, so that'll take us through to the new year. So I'd just like you, beginning um, this week, uh, start reading 1 John. Uh, become very familiar with it. Uh, it's not a long book, so you can read it all in one sitting, and I encourage you to do that, and then also take time just to go through it slowly and do it through uh, different translations, if you have different translations. It just gives you a little different perspective sometimes you go through it. So I encourage you to do that. When I was asked to share my testimony, how do you put... 65 years into 20 minutes or a little bit uh, more. And uh, so I've decided just to share, focus more on my early year, earlier years because it ca- kind of captures what God has been doing and teaching throughout my life. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for all of us, that's God's purpose for us, that we would be crucified with Christ, that I would no longer live, but Christ live in me, through me. That's his purpose for you. Literally, he wants you to die so that you can have life. And that's what this life is about. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And there again, uh, life is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your glory, not about your comfort or your successes. It's about his glory. And uh, God is trying to work in our lives, in and through us, so that it becomes less about us and more about him. And that's where what Paul is saying. Uh, the Lord allowed Satan to send him a messenger. We don't know what it was, a thorn in the flesh, uh, to torment him, so that he would become weak so that Christ's power would be displayed in, through him. And those uh, verses describe the process that God has been working in my life from the beginning to the end. Many ways, I had a very privileged uh, childhood, uh, Christian parents, good friends, a Bible-teaching church. I was clearly taught about God, Jesus, and salvation. Grew up on the farm, and I think a farm is a wonderful place to grow up on. Uh, age, age eight, I went to Heath Bible Camp. Some of you... My age will remember that. Um, There there one evening, the chapel speaker, uh, he spoke about heaven and hell. And I went away from that chapel knowing very clearly I was going to hell because I would never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And uh, he must have been fairly effective because that night, the boys in the cabin were lined up to talk to our camp counselor, And rather than talk to him there that night in my bunk, just laying there in the darkness, I confessed my sins to God and asked Jesus to be my Savior. And a couple nights later, at the campfire, I told the group what I'd done. And that's important. Paul uh, said in Romans 10, uh, 9 and 11, he said, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And just that confession that night, it's just like it cemented it in my heart, and it's so important. As the years of my childhood went by, outwardly, if you knew me, you would have thought that all was well, but inwardly, it wasn't. I was angry and becoming uh, more bitter against an individual. And God intervened, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a few weeks ago, at age 14, when that group came from the neilberg marsden area, came to hold revival meetings with our youth group, and there God clearly showed me I had a choice. I could hang on to the bitterness, and it would lead me down a path of destruction. Or I could forgive, and I could experience life. And he just made it so clear that I, these are my two paths. And I chose to forgive, and I chose life now it may not uh, seem like uh, much consequence, but that was a watershed moment in my life. I'd made—if I'd made the choice not to forgive—I don't know where I would be today. But God had made it very clear I wouldn't be walking with Him. And so, age eight, I look at—that's the point of salvation. Age fourteen was where I began to grow. At age 16, our youth group had no adult leaders. There was one couple willing to attend and uh, be the adult presence there, but no one willing to lead it. And uh, so the church board asked if I would lead the youth group. And looking back, I just see how God's hand was in it. He was starting to already teach me leadership uh, skills. And um, it was an important part of his formation of me. During high school, I really considered getting my engineering degree and working in the oil patch. And yet somehow I knew clearly that God was saying, no, don't do that. And so I listened to that. After I ha- right after high school, I began to farm. Uh, it was the expectation of our church, really, that you should take at least one year of Bible school. They didn't make you, but that was promoted, and my parents promoted that. That was a good thing, and it is a good thing. But I kind of rebelled against that expectation. Uh, you don't tell me what to do. And uh, so I didn't. And over the next year, though, the Lord worked on me on that. And by the time that year was over, I knew that he was saying that I was to go to Bible school, and not just for one year, I was to take all four years. I had no idea why he wanted me to take all four years. But I knew he wanted me to do that. I was still farming, and so some uh, the fall semesters I had to skip... uh, in order to help take the crop off, and so I did the four-year program over spread over five years. And between my third and fourth year, I skipped a year there because my younger brother wanted to go to Bible school, and so I stayed home. And uh, for several years, I'd been spending part of my summers being a camp, cabin counselor at Whitney Lake Bible Camp, and there I began to become interested in a young lady. And so it was during that year that uh, we started dating And uh, I convinced her not to go to Sexsmith uh, Bible College. Uh, She was going to go the next year to Sexsmith. That's where her brothers all went. And I convinced her to come and uh, go to Prairie with me. Uh, In my mind, going through two semesters and not seeing her was just too long. And uh, I guess she agreed because she came to Prairie with me. Um, The next summer, in 1981, uh, we were married. And it was a drought year, and while we were on our honeymoon, uh, they already started uh, harvesting. And so we came back, went right into harvest. And it was about a month later, I had a life-changing event. And uh, so I was involved in a farm accident Uh, that morning. uh, While the dew was on, I had uh, serviced my combine. My dad had, uh, the night before, uh, blown a dry belt on his, and my brother was helping him change the dry belt. So after I was done with my combine... I went over and serviced his combine and I went up on top where the engine was and uh, the big lid over the engine. I'd flipped that back against the grain tank and I crouched down. And I pulled the dipstick and one of those whirlwinds, uh, we call them the dust devils, uh, came along and it slammed that down. And the lip caught me right across the top of the head. And <clears throat> so that uh, punched the front half of the skull down and under the back half, and also C1 and C2, it compressed them in my spine. I should have gone and uh, received medical help right away. I guess I was knocked out. I don't know how long. I just went over backwards, uh, and that's where I came to, laying there on the back of the combine. I just got down, and they were still changing the dry belt, so it couldn't have been too long. I went and sat in mine and waited until the dew was off, and I started combining, and um, not, not the right thing to do. When I did go, uh, the doctor, the first doctor I saw, he refused to treat me. He told me I was lying. He said that if I had been hit hard enough to make that kind of a dent in my head, he said, I'd be dead. He said, you must have been born with that. And I said, no, I wasn't born with that, and I did have the accident. And he just looked at me, and I was sitting there with my shirt off, and he says, well, you got a mole on your back. Would you like me to cut that off for you? And totally avoided it. And so we weren't getting any medical help at that uh, point. Um, But as a result, I've had a headache ever since. Um, From 1981 until today, I've always lived with it. I've never been without it. As well I have uh, constant neck pain, and as I age, C1 and C2 neck joints have uh, worn out. And so now I'm bone on Bone. And uh, my shoulder muscles try to protect the joints, so they're constantly in tension. Uh, So much so that at one point, uh, they actually pulled my shoulder right out of joint, uh, just from the muscles trying to protect that. I've experienced all the symptoms of classical severe brain injury. You can go home and look up uh, severe brain injury and look at all the symptoms. I've experienced them all there. Uh, My eyes went misaligned. Uh, my pupils just stayed wide open. And so then I became very sensitive to sunlight. Uh, my heart would race uh, since then. I've uh, at times had heart arrhythmia, dizziness, uh, brain feeling like being in a black hole. And no, it's not depression. Um, I don't know how to describe it to you, but if you talk to others who have had severe brain injury, the moment I say that, they, I got you. I know what you're talking about. Uh, sensitivity to continuous noise, um, short-term memory loss. The list just goes on, and actually where I got hit was in the memory part of the brain. And so that became a huge issue. And so if I can't remember your names, I have an excuse. (laughs) Um, But in it, God was allowing circumstances which would make me weak so that he could be shown strong, so that he could display his strength. And in it, he was teaching me to crucify myself so that I could experience life. And many have been the days I've headed to the office and I've prayed and said, Lord, I can't do this. You have to do it. And he does. Meanwhile, during those farming years, God was working out other plans. Uh, Though I was farming, somehow I'd had the sense that God was going to do something else with me. So much so that uh, when we were dating, I told Esther that uh, she was marrying a farmer, but I just had the sense God was going to do something else, and I had no clue what. Was she okay with that? In 1981, as I finished Bible school, I had to go back for two more uh, courses in June, and while I was there, I met a pastor that was taking these courses. And at the end, uh, as we're about ready to go home, he came to me and he said, Don, I believe God has shown me something. What? You're to be a pastor. And at that point, I laughed and I said, well, he may be calling me to something, I don't know what, but being a pastor would be the last thing that he would call me to. I did not see myself in that role at all. And he just replied, well, I'm sure God has told me that, so I'm going to pray Uh, that uh, he would uh, reveal that to you. I met him years later, reminded him of this, and he had forgotten all about it. It was gone from his memory. Now, I wouldn't have given that much thought, but over the next three years, I began to have one person after another come and do exactly the same thing. And I couldn't even blame a conspiracy because these were not people who knew each other. So they weren't getting together and trying to have a conspiracy against me. In the summer of 1981, as we were there, I was just back from Bible school. Uh, We were just married. Our pastor read the passage for a sermon, and I just, I did what you shouldn't do. Instead of listening to him, I just kept reading on. And uh, these are the words that were just after the passage that he read on. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And as I read those words, God said to me, he said, Don, are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? Are you willing to lose your life for me? And it was so clear, so strong. I knew it was another watershed moment in my life that how I answered that was going to determine the rest of my life. And I said, yes, Lord, I will. And his answer came back. Then whatever I put in front of you in the next little while for ministry opportunities, you're to do them. Don't say no. And right after that, the church asked me to lead the youth group again. Well, not just me, Esther and I both as a couple. They asked me to teach the adult Sunday school class. They asked me to serve on the camp board, uh, Whitney Lake Bible Camp. And uh, when a speaker was needed, I would be asked to fill in. Even this church during that time asked me to come and speak once. And so that was the first time I spoke here in this church. I love farming. But also during those years, uh, God began to impress on me uh, Colossians 1, and this is Paul's purpose statement for himself, where Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And uh, that's our purpose as Christians, as churches, to present everyone perfect in Christ one day. And while I love farming, God was saying to me, while you love farming, that's not the way I want you to be serving me in presenting people perfect in Christ. That's not how I want you to make a difference in eternity. For other people it is, but not for you. And he began to impress that on my heart as I went through those years. In 1984, I... Each summer, I was going to Bible camp, Whitney Lake Bible camp for two or three weeks, uh, counseling there. That summer in 1984, I came back from Bible camp sick. I went to the doctor. He told me I had bronchitis. It didn't get better. It just got worse. Uh, He ended up saying I also had double pneumonia. I had a lot of time in bed and a lot of time to uh, think, and I was sick for a long while, even in the fall when we're taking the crop off. I was still weak enough that to do all the other jobs you need to do. I couldn't do them. I just sat in the combine because I could sit. And I drove combine. But one Sunday afternoon, as I was recovering from that, Esther and I, we took a lined uh, binder paper, the loose-leaf lined paper, and we just began to write down all the things that God had been doing and saying. And not in detail. We just, each line, we just noted one item on that line of what God had been doing we went all the way down one side and we flipped it over and we're halfway down the other side and we were still going. Not even slowing down and we just looked at each other and said, how can you argue with this? God is calling us to be a pastor. And so with that, we went to our church board and we told them that we believed that God was calling us to be a pastor and their response was, well, we've known that for a long time. We're just waiting for God to make it clear to you. Uh, That winter, we joined the Canadian Sunday School Mission. It's now called One Hope Canada. And they sent us to a small church in the peace country, uh, saying that it would be a good start for us because it was a problem-free church. Uh, We got there and found out they didn't know the church. Uh, They had no idea what was going on in that church. And within a couple months, I was asking God, why, why did you send us here? Because the church was at war with itself, they had two factions, not everyone was involved, but there was two strong factions at war with each other, and uh, they were trying to get rid of each other. And they were at war with the community because of past events, and the community hated the church. And just a couple stories will illustrate what the community thought of the church Uh, Right after moving there, uh, as I was driving to the church by my, uh, so this out in the country, um, driving by the neighbor's place, a farmer, I thought he was standing out there in the yard. I I'll just pull in and introduce myself. And so I pulled up and walked over to where he was, and I he already knew who I was, had figured that out. But I introduced myself, and he just stood there and he stared at me in my eyes. I wouldn't say a word. And no matter what I said, he just stared me in the eyes and wouldn't say a word. And finally, I had to just leave, walk away. I was clueless. I didn't know that they were at war with the community and what the community thought. But that was my first experience of what people thought of the church. And I, by extension, as their new pastor, one of our church members was married to a man who didn't know the Lord, and I went to visit him one day, wanted to get to know her husband. and um, He met me at the door, and uh, when I introduced myself, he just literally moved right up within just a few inches of my face, and at the top of his lungs, he just began to scream at me, yelling out every curse word, every name that he could think to call me. I didn't know what to do, so I just stood my ground, and I stared him back in the eye. <laughs> And so there we were, this far apart. I just looked him in the eye and him cursing me out. And uh, eventually when he ran out of every curse word and name that he could think of, he fell quiet and we continued to stand there and look at each other in the eye. And then finally he gruffly said, Well, since you're here, you may as well come in for coffee. <laughs> and so I went in and we got along well after that. It, t- it took time. But I would go out into the community and I would help the farmers and uh, not take pay. Just go and say, can I help you? And drive combine, drive tractor or whatever. And, um, and then they would start to talk. And they'd tell me all the reasons why they hated the church. And I just listened. And after time, that would start to change. And they would say, we hate your church, but we like you. But eventually, as God worked in the church... It changed to, not we hate your church, but what's going on in your church? Why? Well, because they love each other. Aren't they supposed to? No, they used to fight all the time. What's going on? But it wasn't easy. Esther faced the same stresses. Yes, she even got cursed out on one occasion. Um, we were only there about three months when the board chairman, springtime, says, can you come ride the tractor with me for a bit? And so I went and jumped on the tractor with him, and he began to tell me all was wrong with the other group and how I was supposed to use my pastoral authority to kick them all out of the church. And I have to say, well, that's not Christ's answer. Reconciliation is." And from that moment, he was my enemy. Meanwhile, the other side was also trying to use me. And I was in over my head as a young pastor with no experience. I called my superintendent, and I basically reduced my words was, help. And he replied, I understand what it's like, and he hung up on me. He didn't want to deal with it. And so the attack was severe. Uh, The board chairman was telling lies. He was doing everything he could to get me kicked out. And we're only a few months in. And I had no idea what to do. And then I went to a camp board meeting, and uh, the pastor that was doing the devotional, he did it from Psalm 37, 1 through 7. Do not fret because of evil men. Or be envious of those who do wrong, for like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And that night, God just said to me, Don, he says, do nothing. Just stay put. Don't leave. Stay put. Just do good. And I'll take care of it. Trust me. And I'll bring you, the board chairman was trying to destroy me. He says, I'll bring you righteousness like the noonday sun. And that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what God did. I don't have time to tell how he did it, but as we went along, one side, uh, the one faction, repented. Uh, They sought reconciliation, and it was genuine. In that repentance and that seeking of reconciliation, we just saw them just grow, come alive. The other side, uh, mainly the board chairman, but there was some with him, refused reconciliation. And it was nasty. But in the end, he left the church. Because in the end, the church would have come to the place of discipline. And with them gone, uh, the church entered a time of peace, and they learned to love each other. And that's the time when I started having the community, what's going on in your church? They love each other. And the church began to grow. It was the church where people didn't want to go to. Became the church where people started. I'd like to be there. But it was tough in other ways. Uh, the church was very small. Uh, we were being paid next to nothing. We went trusting God to provide, and uh, He always did, but He still left us in poverty. He says He'll take care of your needs, but He doesn't promise to necessarily make you comfortable. Uh, just, we had so many experiences. One time we had a bill to pay, and I also desperately needed tires for our truck. We had no money. We had no idea where the money was coming from. Had a deadline to pay that bill. And just in time, and we were praying, and so often God will leave you right to the last minute. He'll let you sweat it out. And just in time, suddenly a check came from Prairie Bible College. Some anonymous donor had sent them a large sum of money and said, would you disperse this out to missionaries and pastors who you think have a need? We weren't back in contact with pray. How did they know I had a need? But they sent us a portion of that, and it was exactly what we needed for that bill and for the tires. It was a tough time for us also personally. Esther was in the childbearing years. We had four young children. Uh, She was fully involved in the ministry. As you can understand, I've only began to tell you a bit of the story, but uh, the stress of the ministry, she faced that also. Our living conditions were very primitive. We were living in a partially built house. Many of the windows were still plastic, just covered over with plastic. That's all that was there, all that was available. Um, she always had the fear, and bears would try to get into homes there. She always had a fear where a bear would just crawl through the wind, uh, one of those plastic windows uh, and so on. Um, she was facing the stress of trying to make enough dollars, uh, not enough dollars, meet our needs. Uh, at that point, uh, she was burning out. I was burning out. I was in uh, severe, constant pain. I was at a place I couldn't read or study much, some weeks, not at all. Some Saturday nights I'd come uh, later in the evening and I'd just pray, Lord, I haven't even been able to study this week. And it's not because I haven't tried. I just haven't been able to. And you have to be able to give me. Tomorrow morning I have to stand up and preach a message. You have to give me a message. And it was just like the Lord would begin to dictate. And the thoughts would just come and I, I wasn't even thinking. I was just writing down what was coming. And I'd get up and preach that, and then afterwards someone would come to me and say, how did you know? That's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know? I didn't No. I was in bad shape health-wise. Um, my short-term memory at that point was so bad that Esther and I would go visit people, and then as we left, I would ask Esther what we talked about. It'd be just gone. I couldn't remember it. So we came back to Irma for one year while I sought medical help, and some things they are able to help me with, uh, some not. In the end, the specialist of the, uh, that I was seeing at the U of A, he said, Don, he says, don't go back to being a pastor. He said, it's too high stress, and he said, you will not last very long, you will be a basket case, you'll destroy yourself, don't do it. He said, in fact, you should be on disability, you shouldn't be working at all, and he says, I will make sure that you get a disability pension. And I said, no, that's not what God is asking of me. I can't do that. So I turned his offer down. And uh, God led us right back into pastoring, and not into normal pastoring, but into transitional ministry, and um, mostly helping churches in conflict, or in trouble of some kind, or needing help in some way, or bringing... Uh, change in their church. It's not all just helping with negative things. It can be helping with positive things too. But many of those are all higher stress uh, situations. And um, so God not only took me, the specialist saying don't do it at all because it'll destroy you. God didn't give me the easy places. He actually put me into the hard places. And here I am 65 and still doing it. Now, it's not me. It's all of God. And he's the one that gets the glory for that. There have been times when I've tried to get out of it where I felt it's too hard. And um, I'll just tell you, the one time uh, I was like Peter, where Peter said, I'm going to go back fishing. I said, I'm going to go back farming. And so we did that very briefly. And everything I put my hand to, God destroyed And I won't tell you the whole, that takes too long to tell you that whole story. But uh, by the end of that two years, we knew that it was God's hand against us. And one night I walked out under the stars, beautiful, clear, warm night. And I was praying and I was struggling and I was just, God, I can't do it. And he said, look up. And I looked up and I looked at those stars and he said, if I have the power to create them and keep them in their places, don't you think I have the power to keep you? And I had to say, yes, you do. And so we went back in, <clears throat> back into ministry. Um, from there, we went to a high level. And um, High level wasn't the problem church internally, but there was a huge problem between the church and their denomination. God was taking us back to a conflict situation to help try to resolve that. Uh, the end result of that, uh, as a church, we ended up joining the free church, and that's where I, why high level is part of the free church today. But my prayer at that point was, God, you have led us into all these short-term ministries helping churches but it's hard on my kids and the oldest ones were just becoming teenagers. And I said, God, I would love to have the stability for a few years where our kids could grow up, have some roots and have that stability. And he answered that prayer. And so for 13 years, we were at high level and, uh, our kids grew up there and to them that's home. And, uh, So we'll always be visiting them at a long distance, all because God answered that prayer and sent us to high level. And so as I look at my own life and as I look back, I'm a walking miracle. God, everything about my life is a miracle from him. And not just what I've shared this morning. Um, We've seen so many prayers answered. Several times, both of us, or just myself, should have been killed, and God worked miracles. I won't tell you the stories, but I'll mention two of them. One time we were trapped on a railway track, the train a second from hitting us. And God, and there was another couple with us. God literally moved us, truck and every, all. We were there. Suddenly, we weren't there. We were over here in the field. And the train rumbling along behind. When you read about Philip being translated from one place, the Ethiopian eunuch, to Samaria, as a kid, I often wondered what does that feel like? I know what it feels like now. It feels like nothing. There was no sensation. You're just here and then you're there. Another time, I was upside down in two and a half feet of water with an 800 pound quad upside down on top of me, and I was pinned, my arms back like this, totally pinned by myself. And God worked a miracle. We've seen so many prayers answered in people's lives. So as I look back, and I have to quit telling my story there, or you'll get hungry here. um, It's not a life that I would wish on anyone. It's been hard, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because God has made me... Weak to the point where I had to crucify myself and trust him. And that's the best place that anyone can be in. He reduced me to the place where I can take no credit, and it's all for his glory. And in one way or another, that's to be the story of your lives. Your story will look totally different, but God is still trying to do exactly the same thing. Let's pray. Father, you're just a wonderful God, an amazing God, and I stand in awe in front of you. And I just ask that you would work that out in our lives to where we learn to crucify ourselves and as Christ that lives in us. To the point where we're no longer seeking our own glory. But it's your glory that's being displayed. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.